Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We give you praise. We worship you because you are God. We thank you because you are good. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your mercy upon our lives. We say may you be highly exalted in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray as we go into your word today, that as you have been with us throughout today's service, you speak to us in Jesus' name. Teach us what you would have us hear today. Speak to your children in the way that they should learn today. And may your name be glorified. For it's in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Let me open our Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter what? Chapter what? Chapter 13. <laughs> I had said that we are going to be looking at the same chapter for a majority of this month. Matthew 13, still examining the general theme, lessons on the kingdom. Looking at the parables that Jesus gave in this particular chapter. The first week we talked about the parable of the sower and I said basically that had to do with our relationship with God's word, right? And last week, we looked at the parable of the tars, the mustard seed, and the leaven. And we said basically that had to do with our relationship with the world. Today, we're going to be looking at two very short parables. Actually, a parable of just three verses. And we're going to be talking about our value of the gospel. Our value of what? Of the gospel. And we're going to be reading from verse 44 to verse 46. And the Bible says, And again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man had found, he hideth, and for joy thereof, goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth the field. And it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Amen. Two parables in three verses. Speaking about the same theme, even while you're reading it, you would find that the theme or the concept of value is very, very rampant and obvious in both of these parables, as short as they are. It has to do with someone finding something and paying a price to obtain that thing. So the thing is that in the region where most of the Bible was written in, the region of Israel and its neighbors and enemies, which we will call the Middle Eastern region of today, hidden treasures was not something that was new or strange. I remember that when I started to teach this and I started to talk about parables, one of the things that I said was that every single thing that Jesus said were things that people were very familiar with. 
There were familiar things and there were familiar concepts to those who were living at that time. So when Jesus was saying these things, he wasn't saying something strange. He was saying something that was both socially and culturally understood by the people that he was speaking to. So it was very easy for them to grasp what the natural meaning was. So the concept of hidden treasures is not new to Israel. Even when we go through our Bible, we'll see this concept over and over again repeatedly. Because right from the book of Joshua, we find a man called Achan, who did what? Who got some treasure and he buried it. It was normal. And two reasons why you, you see this hidden treasure concept common back then is because there was a lot of political turmoil. This was, these were nations that were used to war. And all of a sudden, a nation can just decide to invade another nation. There can be theft. There can be anything. And there were no banks. So usually, what families would do would be to dig the earth and what? And hide their valuables to preserve something for themselves and their families if something happened. And a lot of times what you would find is that if there was a lot of turmoil in that place, that an entire family might get wiped out and the treasure would still remain. But it was common law and it was a well-known thing that when someone buys a field, the person does not just own the surface. The person also owns whatever it is that is found within that field. So, if you go through history, you will find that a lot of times, kings, emperors, became anarchists to some of their own people because those people, by luck, happened to stumble on some fields that they bought probably cheaply only to find out that what there is gold there. There's treasure there. And once the king gets whiff of it, he calls them. <laughs> he seizes it or he kills them. Or he does something towards to obtain that treasure. The problem is not the field. The problem is that this guy has stumbled upon something by luck. Because he would not have bought that field for the value that it truly is if they knew what was under it. They also have a lot of earthquakes and things that happen naturally that also unearth some of these treasures. And it is from the standpoint of this law that whoever buys a field does not just own the field but owns whatever is found in that field that this parable is actually being spoken from. And today we're just going to ask two questions. The first on this particular parable, the first is how valuable is the gospel to you? How valuable is the gospel to you? Because the first parable says that when this man found this, for joy he went and sold everything that he had to buy the field. He sold what? All. All that he had to buy the field. 
So the question for us is, how valuable is the gospel to us? How much of ourselves can we sell or give up for the sake of the gospel? And when we talk about the gospel, we're not just talking about the message of salvation that you have received. We're also talking about all the precepts and doctrines of salvation. From the points that you receive it to the points that you leave this world. You know, a perfect example or a perfect picture of what the gospel is can be found in the relationship between Abraham and his son Isaac. And in Genesis 22, we see this beautiful story of Abraham going to sacrifice his son Isaac, right? And Abraham went and he climbed the mountain. And the Bible tells us later in the book of Hebrews that because in Abraham's heart, Isaac was considered to be dead. That Abraham had already sacrificed Isaac in his heart. So he was as good as dead. But we cannot just give Abraham all the credits. We have to give some credit to Isaac. Because Isaac himself willingly laid on that altar. Willingly stayed there. He wasn't a child without reasoning. He was old enough to understand because he asked his father questions. He said, where is the ram? And the father said, the Lord will provide for himself. So it wasn't just on Abraham, it was also on Isaac. That Isaac believed that whatever happened up there, God will what? God will take it and take care of himself. So both Abraham and Isaac both consented to the sacrifice that was to be made on that altar. And it's a picture of how Jesus was not forced to come and die by God. Jesus sacrifi- God sacrificed Jesus, because he gave Jesus to us. But Jesus also gave his own life away. Because Jesus said what? I give my life away. No one taketh it from me. I give it by myself. I have the power to give it. And I have the power to take it up. And it's a beautiful picture because because a sacrifice was made on that altar. Symbolically, it can be said that Abraham and Isaac actually made a sacrifice on that altar and they came back. And Abraham and Isaac returned home. And Isaac returned to his father's house, right? The same way after the sacrifice was paid for us and our sins, Jesus also returned to where? His father's house. Then you move to Genesis 24 and all of a sudden, It is time for Isaac to marry a wife. And Abraham called his servant and gave him specific instructions and told him to go back to where? His own family. To go and get a wife from his house because it has to be a family thing. The same way the Holy Spirit was sent where? To the world. So bring who? Us who are now also in the family because we are now in the body of Christ. And he sent the servant and the servant went and met Rebekah, 
and talked with Rebecca and a lot of things happened. But you see, Rebecca still had some things to do. Rebecca accepted that Isaac was going to be her husband. But it didn't stop there. Rebecca also willingly followed the servants from where they were to where? To Abraham's house where Isaac was. Rebecca could not get to that place by herself. It wasn't enough for Rebecca to simply accept that what? Yes, Isaac is my what? Is my betrothed husband. For Rebecca to be able to meet with Isaac physically and for that marriage to be done, Rebecca had to follow the directions of the servants because it's only the servants that knows where Isaac and Abraham live because he belongs to what? To Abraham. And in the same way, it's only the Holy Spirit that can lead us back to Jesus. Our bridegroom as the church, as the bride. He's the only one that knows the way. And that's why he was sent to us. He was sent of the Father, giving to the Son, and the Son released him unto us. So the gospel is not just the sacrifice that was paid on the cross. Neither is it the decision that you make to follow Jesus. But it's it's actually also the experiential following of Jesus on a daily basis, as long as you are on this earth, until you are finally reunited with who? With your bridegroom. That is the totality of the gospel. And the question is, how much do you value this gospel? Because if we are to accept and to agree that Jesus is teaching about the precepts of the kingdom of heaven, and he is telling these people what the kingdom of heaven is like, what the people of the kingdom of heaven are like, what Jesus is saying essentially is that for you to be a kingdom person, you must be able to sell how many? All for the sake of this gospel. That is the measure of value you have to give to it. But there is nothing in your life that you cannot give up for the sake of this life that you've embraced. And if you are not there yet, you are not living like a kingdom person. Amen. Second thing I want to talk about is the fact that he bought the whole field. He bought the what? The field. The treasure was within the field. But he bought the field because he's he that what? That owns the field. That owns what? The treasure within. And the field here represents two things. It represents the word of God. And he also represents his church. Down to the local assembly. You see, the dumbest thing is for anybody to believe that he can have access to that treasure without God's word and without being part of his church. 
down to the local physical sense. Which is why I talk to people that still claim to believe in Jesus and have the truth in them, but say things like they've given up on church and they don't know what they are saying. You can't have the treasure without the field. You can't. You can't have the treasure without the field. And if you do not relate with the word of God, which we've already discussed in the first week, because we've talked about our relationship with the word. But also, if you do not enter into his house to fellowship with his people, as he has commanded, you cannot claim to have the treasure. You cannot claim to have access to the truth. You cannot claim to be practicing the gospel if you don't go to church. Because the church is the field. What the church helps you to do is, is to unearth treasures. This Bible that we're reading, the beautiful letters that we reread from Paul, Will those letters exist without churches? Who was he writing to? So how dare anyone say that, oh yes, I'm just going to have the word of God on my own and I'm just going to read in my room and be in my house and me and God are fine. If there is no assembly to fellowship, if that did not exist in this time, we will not have more than half of the New Testament. We won't. These things were written to encourage the body, the church. These letters were read out to the congregation. They were their own messages like we're preaching this morning. Because that's the field. And you cannot have the treasure without the field. We're going to move on quickly to the second the second parable. And it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So because, like I said, these things have historical significance, I'm going to talk a bit about the pearl. Pearls are usually found in shellfish. Usually, shellfish, oysters, the oyster kind. And the thing is that the Eastern or the Orientals of that time valued pearls more than diamonds. It was huge for them. It was their own personal treasure. So when this parable is talking about a merchant, this is a merchant that works, that trades in pearls. And pearls are usually valued according to their size, their roundness, their luster, and different things. And how pure the pearl is. Because pearls, you can see through them in strange ways. And depending on all this, the merchant will determine what, what, what the price is. And the reason why pearls were so valuable was because culturally for them, that was the adornment of the rich and the wealthy. 
So it's in the West that diamonds had the value that they have now. But for them in the East, they valued pearls more than diamonds in this time. That was their own treasure. That's how important it was to them. So again, Jesus wasn't giving a parable that people could not culturally understand. Perhaps if he was to give that parable today, he might use crypto or online currency. I don't know. But essentially, that's what a parable is. It would relate to the people of that time. Because Jesus is passing a message that is eternal using things that are very familiar to them. But we ourselves, we have to familiarize ourselves with it. Because if you read it as a modern person, you look at it and say, how valuable is a pearl self? Like, why are we we stressing ourselves? Well, that's not how it was for them at all. It was of great value to them. But I want to bring out three points from this, and we would pray and close. The first is that from this parable, it is very clear that there are different types of pearls. Because it says that what? And the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant man who is seeking goodly what? Pearls. Not pearl. Pearls. And what this tells us is that humanity, because humanity is what is represented by this merchant, were always seeking out a form of truth to live by and to be by. It doesn't have to be religion. Even those that have rejected rejected religion are still living by a form of truth that can be interpreted through the lens of the religions that they have rejected. Because man is constantly seeking what? Pearls. Humanity cannot survive or exist without something that directs their lives. We need it. That's how God made us. So, the merchants would always be seeking goodly pearls. Right? We're all seeking. We're all seeking. But the Bible now says, who when he found, he found what? One pearl. Of what? Of great price. How many was he seeking? Pearls. What did he find? One pearl. And he says when he found that pearl of great price, what did he do next? He went and he sold all that he had. And he bought it. When it comes to salvation, we didn't pay any price for salvation to exist. Jesus was the one that paid it all. Right or wrong? Correct. But you see, in accepting this gospel in its true form, Hmm? the acceptance of the gospel, the acceptance of the gift that has been given to us by Jesus, the acceptance of God's love will cost us all. It has to. It has to. Because it's a pearl of what? Of great price that would require that we sell all to buy it. Which means that if you're looking at it naturally, this merchant realized that with this pearl that he has found, he doesn't need two. He doesn't need what? Three. 
that this pearl that he has found is able to settle him for, for life. Do you know there are people that have that kind of wealth? Do you know there are families today that nobody in the house needs to walk? They exist now. Nobody needs to walk. For generations, I'm not talking about just one. <laughs> one. I mean for generations, third, fourth, fifth. Nobody in that family actually needs to do anything to live. Because something has happened in the past in that family and they've been able to what, find treasure in whatever way they found it. But they have treasure that can last for what? For life and life. That's what it means. Although he was looking for pearls, he found one. And the value of that one, he knew that once he had it, he didn't need anything else. So he gave all for it. And you see, this gospel, as we've described the gospel, to cost us all, many people accept Jesus truly, but every day people are falling by the wayside. People are editing the Jesus that they have received. Because they get to different junctures in their lives and they are not willing to give all for him. Amen. I want to show us something in Second Corinthians 11, 1 to 4. And I would close after this. Something that I've explained before, but I've never explained on the altar. I'm going to explain it on the altar because we're recording. And I want people to hear it. Second Corinthians chapter 11. From verse 1 to 4. I read. It says, Would to God you would bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Verse 3. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might bear with him. Amen. You see, Paul had such a special relationship with the Corinthian church. Because it's not every church that Paul wrote to that he helped to give birth to. He wrote to the Romans and he hadn't even seen them yet. Right? But you see, with the Corinthian church, he had a deep relationship with them. It was them that he was saying that you have many instructors, you have few fathers, I am your father, I am the apostle that gave birth to you. He had such a deep love for them that in church history, he wrote them four letters. We just have two. So what we have in the Bible are the second and fourth letters to the Corinthians, which you call first and second Corinthians. Before first Corinthians, he actually already wrote one to them. That was more personal. That's how much he loved them. And in this verse, 
he was expressing worry and what? And fear as a human being. Because of the rise of false teaching. And he was saying that his fear was that just as the serpent deceived Eve, that a teacher might rise up and come to them and present to them a Jesus that they had not received. Or put in them a spirit that he had not given them. Or that they would accept a gospel that had not been preached to them. You see, one of the major reasons why we have so many types of gospels today is because the truth of the gospel will cost what? All to live by. It will. It will cost all. Because there is nothing that is not fair game for the gospel. Because it is about your entire journey through this world until you return to what? To the bridegroom. Which is why Peter's, I mean Paul said, I present you as what? A chaste virgin unto Christ. But you might accept another gospel. I want to talk about some of the gospels that we have. We have a sentimental gospel. Sentimental gospel is a gospel that is all mercy and no justice. The sentimental gospel is a gospel that is all love but no sacrifice. A twisted kind of love that acknowledges the sacrifice that Jesus had to pay for us because love is always followed by sacrifice. Sacrifice is the primary characteristics of agape love. So if you say that you love God in return, it means that you have to sacrifice. That's the only proof that you love him. But the sentimental gospel is a gospel that focuses on what? All mercy, no justice. All love, yeah, God loves us. But we don't love him in return, not really. Because we don't sacrifice for him. It's sentimental. It appeals to the emotions. It feels good. But it's not true. It's not complete. A love that does not acknowledge that what we are enjoying is both God's mercy and God's justice. Because we accepted Jesus into our hearts. So, God's justice has been rained down on him on the cross. And because God's justice has been rained down on Jesus on the cross, that is why we have mercy. So, as many that do not accept the the justice that was rained down on Jesus on the cross will not obtain mercy. They would have God's justice being rained down on them. But the sentimental gospel avoids this part. And tries to pretend that in the end, God has to save everyone because he loves us. It's sentimental. It feels good. It appeals to the emotions. But it is not true. Because it's a gospel that does not require any sacrifice or true commitment from the believer. So you cannot sacrifice all. The second kind of gospel that we have, we have a mystical gospel. A mystical gospel is all power and no word. Power in quotes. 
but no word. The mystical gospel is the one that is performative in nature. It's not reflective. It doesn't make you internally look at your life and see how the Holy Spirit can work on you on the outside, on the inside rather. It's all about performance and what you do on the outside. How the reflection of your Christianity is how many prophecies in your life have come to pass. Or how much power has been released into your life. Power in quotes. Because any power without the word is not from God. But we have mystical gospel in the world today where the narrative is self and not God. The narrative is what you can do for yourself and not what God must do in you and through you. It's mystical. It's mixed with New Age doctrines and teachings. I heard some things over the last couple of months that just made me really sad about prophetic groups where they teach themselves how to interpret dreams and visions. And they say they are Christian. They are young people like us. <laughs> One would think that this thing ended with my daddy's generation. <laughs> it's not going to end. It's just going to become more modern. It's digitalized. They have an Instagram page. I went there. They have WhatsApp groups. They have Telegram groups where young people gather in their thousands to listen to what? To how to interpret your dream. How to interpret your visions. How to know what God is saying to your life. They'll say, bring all your prophecies. Let's discuss them. What has been prophesied over your life? And somebody will interpret it for them. This is a mystical gospel that is all power, no word, no word. It's not based on this. They sprinkle the word of God to make it sound good. They sprinkle it like they are sprinkling spice. But you see, that gospel is not true because it doesn't have a sacrifice at all. It's comfortable because people have itching ears. And they hear what they want to hear and they think they are Christians. The third kind of gospel that is very rampant is the humanitarian gospel that focuses on causes rather than faith. That cares for the body and does not really care for the health of the soul or the spirit. It's rampant. It focuses on causes. Oh, I'm supporting this cause. I'm supporting that cause. I stand with these people. I stand with that people. I refuses to see anything spiritually. I refuses to accept when Jesus said that if you thought I came to bring peace, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came with a sword. And interprets the peace of the Bible and the peace of Christ to mean this earthly governmental peace. It's a humanitarian gospel that believes that you have to carry a cause and you have to be identified by a cause rather than being identified by your faith. These gospels are not true. 
and they are not the precious pearl that this merchant found. Because for those gospels, or those types of gospel, those narratives, it won't cost you all. It won't. Because it still gives room to self in one way or the other. But the Bible says that this man did what? He sold all to obtain it. Let me rise up. I want you to talk to God this morning. I want you to talk to him about your value system. Every human being has a value system. Every human being has the way they value things, the way they rank things. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus' value system is, if you love me, you will do what I say. If you love me, you would accept all that I say to you and all that I've said about you to be true. And you will submit yourself to it and to do it. No matter how much it costs you. Because this life is supposed to cost you all. Jesus said that they that lose their lives for my sake will gain it. But it says they that keep their life would what? Would lose it. I want you to open your mouth and I want you to talk to God and ask him to help you to value his gospel. To value this life that you have accepted more than anything in your life. More than any aspect of your life. More than anything that might be considered to be important to you. More than anything. More than anyone. More than anyone. More than anything ever. That you would put him first. That you would give him the place that he deserves. And you would not value anything above him. You would not value anything above him. That you would not value anything above him. In the name of Jesus, I want you to open your mouth and I want you to pray. In Jesus' name we are free. I want you to pray for your heart so that anything that has taken root in your heart to, to discolor the true nature of the gospel to you. You might not know, it might be a mindset, it might be something you've heard, it might be something you've watched that has essentially skewed how you see this life that you are living. Perhaps it's not one of the ones that we've mentioned, but perhaps there is something that has started to take root in your heart that, has, that is preventing you from surrendering all to Jesus. That is coloring your perception of this life in such a way that is not biblical. I want you to ask the Lord to uproot it from your heart this morning. Uproot it from your heart this morning.
So approach it from your heart this morning in the name of Jesus. in the name of Jesus, is a fresca de Boscotosha in the Jesus, is a fresca de Brundu Gorosha Brescade in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen.